And because I was going out last, I saw all these city lads filing to the front of the queue. Like There was fear in their eyes. There was fear in their eyes. Hello Gasheads and welcome to this special A Chat With episode of Gascast. I'll be your host Kaz and alongside me is Nino on producing duties. Hello. Hello, mainly here for the pizza. <laughs> producing in quotation yeah. marks. And this evening joining us in the sporty is someone who many of you older lot will remember from his time at the Gas as a silky centre-back with the best hash in Bristol. And these days our guest is someone who is normally found on the other side of the microphone and actually has just come back from recording an hour-long show of having a gas. It is Mr. Jeff Twentyman. Hello. Great to be here. I had the best tash in the football league, not just in Bristol. <laughs> let's, let's get that quite clear. I should have amended <laughs> Great the Great to be with you guys. Great to be with you guys. Thanks for asking. I'm flattered. No, thanks for asking. Thanks for having us on. It's an, uh, thanks for coming on. No, sorry. I'm on your show. Yeah, sorry. On, yeah, that's the way this is what can. I'm used to. It's weird, this, isn't it? Being, how do you feel? <laughs> how do you uh, feel? Vulnerable. <laughs> <laughs> but looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. It's a safe space. So, um... First question, and our listeners of Gascast take this very seriously. I've noticed you haven't got a sporty pizza today. And you're not going to get one, are you? No. No. But no. this is very important. If you were to get one, what toppings would you get? Oh, on a pizza? Oh, I'd go meat. I like a bit of spice, a bit of heat, but a bit of meat. You tell me you are vegans, did you say? Veg- veggies. veggies. No, yeah. we love cheese too much to go vegan. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you're just playing at it, really. But no. Yeah. No, I do like a bit of meat, a bit of bit of heat, and you know a bit of spice. But yeah, I'm not a massive pizza eater. No, like Indian food more than anything. Ooh. Yeah, not massive on pizzas. No. That makes sense for the spice, I guess. Here it is. Look, here's the pizza. Oh, I love it. I love a bit of that, actually. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm well, joking. more I'm than joking. welcome. Thank you. The chewing joking. might pick up on so the I'm, pod. I'm more interested how you're going to ask me questions while you eat your pizza. <laughs> That's going to be a technique. Oh, it smells good. I'm going to have to leave it, I think. I don't want the <laughs> listeners to be put off by my chewing. Um, okay, cool. Well, let's get into it then. Let's yeah, talk let's about go. you. Let's go. About me. <laughs> about you. This is your time. Um, so... Obviously, I wasn't around in your glory days Weren't playing you? for Bristol Rovers. Sure. I don't know if I've mentioned it to you before, <laughs> Jeff, but I wasn't You're born. Just a twinkle, just a twinkle <laughs> in someone's eye. Way before my day. Um, so obviously, I don't know anything. So I really want to know everything. And a lot of people There's talk much to know. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> everyone talks about you and like you know your days playing for Rovers. Um, our fans have great memories of you as a player. Um, obviously. Okay promotion season but we'll get on to that later um it's an honor to hear from you and, and it's great to be here and your here. your playing days um so let's go back to the very start then about how you got into football so your dad is is the jeff twentyman your jeff twentyman I'm the son of, yeah i was always the son of you know when i was i was trying to get a career going even you know i was half decent at school level and um i was in the liverpool echo that's like the bristol post on merseyside and i was always referred to as uh your jeff twentyman jr the son of, not just Jeff Twentyman Jr., but also the son of. It was like a double slap in the face, like, you know what I mean? You weren't your no. own man. Hey? You weren't Never. your own man. No. no. But very proud of Dad. He was amazing, you know, a wonderful father more than anything, but great football brain. He played for Liverpool in the 50s. I didn't see that, a bit like you with me. Um, but everyone says he was a really good player. And then he was chief talent scout for 20 years and found players like Phil Neal, 
Ian Rush, Alan Hansen. You know, how, how do you find Ian Rush playing with Chester? I think he's going to be good enough to play for Liverpool, who were the champions of Europe at the time. That was just a. I spoke at his funeral and said in front of a load of Liverpool luminaries from the decades that you know he was a football genius, really mm. clever guy. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I, I guess it was in my genes that I was playing football. Um, early days, I was a striker. Not for very long, wow. and then just gravitated back to the team and became a, a centre half. But yeah, no. But, but growing up in a football family was amazing, really. But it was just, it was just a way of life. You know what I mean? People say, "Oh, what was it like? Your dad was chief scout of Liverpool, and like it was just dad's job." Like you know, other people's dads went and did different things. But you know, but I think one of the moments when I realised it was slightly different is that when I came in from school. Um, I stayed on and did my A-levels at school and came home and in the lounge there was this um, there was something behind like a, a green velvet cloth it was about about as high as that table about three, three and a half feet high and about two feet wide and it was covered in this green velvet cloth I thought what's that what's that what's that so I went through to the kitchen dad what's that in the lounge he goes oh I thought you'd be interested go and, go and pull the cloth off it so I went in the lounge put the big reveal pulled the cloth off and it was the European Cup the Champions <gasps> Cup So Liverpool had won it for the first time and Dad was going to speak at some local amateur football club and Bob Paisley said to Dad, I'll take the European Cup with you and show the the guys. And and Dad said, are you sure? He went, yeah, take it with you. Imagine this nowadays. And he Mm. brought it home, it was there, he took it off, showed them and that night the European Cup, the original trophy, was in the boot of my dad's car overnight. <laughs> but I think that's probably different to people in my class at school as to what their parents did. But, you know, it was a privilege. It was a good grounding. And he was a great tutor. Never put me under any pressure. Um, didn't give me too much praise. Probably never deserved it. But um, <laughs> but it was great. No, it was, it was brilliant. Looking back on it, it was just an amazing way of growing up in that football environment. And I was on their books when I was 18. Never going to make the grade because they were really good and I wasn't. Mm. But still training in the same training ground at Melwood as like Kevin Keegan and Emily Hughes, Ray Clements, Phil Neal, some really big, big names and yeah. big players. It was a good grounding, good grounding. And obviously you're a Liverpool fan as well. Yeah, and yeah. were you a Liverpool fan right from a young age? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, massive. Like I've got like two sisters and a brother and the black sheet of the family who was my sister was an Evertonian who'd want to support Everton anyway but she did I think she was just a bit rebellious but yeah no I did the hard yards on the cop when I was 16 before I started playing football seriously I'd go in the middle of the cop 22,000 people on a terrace crazy existence but great atmosphere singing all the songs like you do Kaz yeah (laughs) I sang the Liverpool songs Um, so yeah always Liverpool fan they're my team you know what I mean always my team and obviously, you touched on the players that you that were playing for Liverpool at the time. Yeah. I mean, like which one of them did you idolise the most? I mean, it must have been really special to be yeah. part of the same team as those people. Yeah. I only ever had one football idol, which was before I kicked onto the training ground at Melwood, and that was Roger Hunt, who, who was an amazing guy. And later in life, for my 60th birthday, my mates managed to arrange a game of golf for me with him, which was an amazing experience to play golf with someone who'd won the World Cup. Um, the only time England won the World Cup and bless him he passed on but we kept in touch and um, I spoke to him a few weeks before he passed away actually which was a, an amazing experience But wow. so I didn't really have idols as such but to be on the training ground look across and there's Kevin Keegan who was you know yeah. one of the top players of his generation and Emily Hughes and all that but the great thing about Liverpool was, it was a really, you read about this and think is it really true it's a down to earth club and there was no big time Charlies and there wasn't they were just ordinary people who were very good at football and I always remember coming home one day and Kevin Keegan had been watching us train 
And he'd said to my dad, oh, oh your Jeff isn't bad, is he? He's got a bit of a chance. And dad said this over tea, like, you know, I couldn't eat, I couldn't eat my meal for the rest of it with excitement, you know oh. what I mean? <laughs> Kevin Keegan had actually thought I was all right. Yeah. And then it was someone else he was looking at. Maybe it was. <laughs> so I, Liverpool, I'd say, are my second team. So I'm a massive... Second. Yeah, I know. Okay. People don't like that. <laughs> people don't like people having second teams, but I'm a massive gashead, first of all. But I Liverpool, as a child, were... They were kind of like the first t- team I saw play live on telly. It was right, the 2001 okay. FA Cup final when they played Arsenal at the Millennium. Oh, yeah, they Michael were 1 0 down and Owen scored twice. Yeah. 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 Steve Dunn so refereed from Bristol. Yeah. Little known fact. Yeah, yeah. So I love Liverpool. And so I read bits about them and they talk about the boot room quite a lot. What, what, what is the boot room? Because it's sort of like this mythical thing it sounds yeah, like yeah. that they big it, up it is exactly what it says on the on the on the on the jar it was where they used to store the boots back in those days players didn't have multi-million pound boot deals with all the the club used to buy the boots in or get a deal with Gola you ever heard of Gola still knocking about a little no. bit I've heard, yeah I've heard They're of like them, two vertical stripes then a horizontal one went to the heel um, and invariably the, the stripes were either gold white or, or silver and the boots were black no one played in coloured boots back in those days and um, the boot room literally was the room where they stored the boxes of Gola boots in all different sizes they got like from six I don't know half size all the way through to the, the big feet to the little feet and then within like when all these boots went round it's probably a similar size to this and people can't see this so it's like say six yard no five yards long and about four yards wide and the height of it's about eight ten feet and they were packed with boots then in the middle of it they just had a few stools and a little table like your pizza's on there getting cold <laughs> and the brain cells of the football club would would meet in there after training and they'd just sit around and you know have a chat and say who trained really well and Kaz trained well today she's probably going to get a game Saturday that kind of stuff and it's just where they kind of talked about football and then after the games when they played a match day they'd invite the opposing manager in for a bottle of beer or a, a, sh- a shot of whiskey or whatever they drank or whatever they did um, now it's all very palatial but no it was literally a boot room where they stored boxes of brand new boots that the players then on one wall they also had the boots that were, were current so they'd, they'd be hung up on, on pegs so it was just a a room with boots in. Mm. Sorry to disappoint, but the boot room was the boot room. But <laughs> yeah, it's it not where, quite as mythical as it, it sounds. Wears, but it was where the brains yeah. came as one and they, they plotted Liverpool's rise and, and domination of English football. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Tiny little room at Anfield. It's gone yeah. now. It's gone. Oh, well, like, it's interesting, isn't it, hearing about how things have changed yeah, yeah, and yeah. how it was back then yeah, yeah, to how it is different. now. I mean, it's yeah, so yeah. different. And you were sold to Chorley for £1,000. Thousand pounds. That's what I read on Wikipedia. A lot of money back in the day. Well, that was my question. Like, you know, was it a lot of money back then? I mean, for now, Chorley, I don't know where they are now, but that's probably quite a lot now for them. But yeah, back in the day, was that was that quite a lot? Was that a big? Could have bought a three bed in London back then for a grand. Can you? Yeah, probably. Yeah, a thousand pounds is probably nowadays. If I'm, I can't. I'm not very good on equating it, but it's probably about twenty, twenty-five grand. Twenty grand now, maybe twenty-five. Yeah, I'd I'd gravitated into non-league football, and um, I was playing for Formby, which is between Liverpool and near Southport up in the northwest, and I had had a decent season, and. um, I used to just train twice a week. Formby, probably locally, let's equate it to, say, playing for Mangotsfield or someone like that. And uh, Manor Farm, maybe. And um, I'd had a good old season. And I was in my early 20s. 
and Chorley were in the Northern Premier League, which was like a couple of promotions away from the Football League. What Bath City playing now, really? And um, they were they were interested in me, and I used to just train twice a week with my mates. Never drank beer though, because I always had this kind of thing that I might get a chance. Of. I always wanted to be a footballer, and um, so. Chorley came in and were prepared to pay a bit of money for me. Not very much, obviously. <laughs> but I had to make this decision whether I was going to leave all my mates who were trained with twice a week and enjoy playing footy with and make this journey up, up the M6 motorway from, I lived on Merseyside, to near Preston, where Chorley is. So it's like 40-minute drive. So you say, well, that's not far. But you go in there and you're coming back on a Tuesday go in there coming back on a Thursday and then same on a Saturday but to me it was the last chance to really become a footballer I was 23 I think and I had this ridiculous couple of seasons at Chorley the Magpies and um, I was talking about this on the show actually because bless him Nick Anderson had a little spell at Chorley oh did he Nick Anderson and I played for Chorley Preston Ambrose and Rovers wow oh, two wow. peas in a pod you two there you go <laughs> bless him wish him well Nick what a, what a guy yeah what we love him with. amazing amazing um, so I had this choice think right stay with your mates or this is your last chance to be a footballer. So I went for the latter. And I made the, con- I made the sacrifice. And I was working in Bank then. Um, and had these two amazing seasons at Chorley. And the second one of which I scored from centre-half 23 goals. Top wow. scorer. Top scorer. Took pens. Yeah. Why 12, is that not on Wikipedia? 12, oh, 12 penalties I scored. And the rest were outfield goals. It was just one of those strange seasons where you go for a corner and second ball would drop at your feet and you'd just go, oh, oh my God kick it and it's gone in like not all flukes but just amazing <laughs> then Preston then there's a few teams interested in me I was 24 I think um, and then Preston played a little bit more than a thousand pounds not very much more and I had this chance to be a pro footballer and that's the start of me sat here with you guys tonight really so had I not made that kind of decision to go for it with, with Chorley and the sacrifices I made along the way um, mm. I wouldn't have got the chance in the pro game but goodness me I'm so glad I did because yeah. you know they were good years at Chorley but you know to step into the pro game was amazing absolutely amazing 12 penalties mine that's an insane amount of penalties to get in one season I was thinking for Rovers we've probably not had that in the last five or six seasons to get no. that in one I'm saying 12 it was maybe less maybe, it was maybe less than 12 maybe a few free kicks I was on free kicks as well he wouldn't trust me on free kicks <laughs> I was alright kicking 80 yards downfield when I played with Rovers I think I, was, I remember there was a, a City fanzine uh, at the time and they put me on the front cover obviously taking the mick and saying I was <laughs> um, I could kick it fairer than any footballer in Bristol I could whoosh it <laughs> like downfield which I could um, but no, Chorley were great years. Great, great years. And I still look out for, you always look out for your former yeah. team's results and for um Chorley's obviously one of them uh, that I look for and Formby obviously because they were on the way as well really. But um Didn't we get Chorley in the cup? Yeah, yes. they, they yeah. beat and us they beat at the us. Mem, didn't they? I think. Did they? I yeah. Think so, yeah. Whose side were you on, Jeff? <laughs> well, I'm sure to remember the game, but yeah, I just wanted. Uh, did they beat? They beat Rovers. Oh, Pretty why are you sure. surprised? Wow. <laughs> of course they beat us. Back in the Darrell days, we used to lose to every non-league yeah, yeah, well, side yeah, at the yeah, Mem. Yeah, yeah. Cup was never, never, no such thing as an FA Cup run at Rovers. Chesham, yeah. Chorley. Yeah. Yeah. Barry Bath. Hales came back and sc- he played, didn't he? Barry Hales played against Rovers for yes, Chesham. He did. Was it Chesham? Yeah. I yeah. That's so, yeah. One niller. Fifty-eight years of age and yeah, no, but no. But no, Chorley was great, great for me, and you know, I yeah, still got a great affection for them. And then obviously you went to Preston from that, and P&E, then, you, and then yeah. you were successful. Um, Not really, but yeah. Well, successful <laughs> enough that Rovers came knocking on the door and uh, were, were desperate to sign you. Were three, so three turbulent years at Preston, bless them, a club in absolute 
downward spiral. Um, first season, we got relegated. No, first season was okay. Second season, we got relegated into the bottom tier. And then in those days, you, you didn't get automatic relegation out of the Football League, um, like obviously Rovers. Um, you had to apply for re-election and the clubs voted for who they wanted to keep. And we, Rovers, Preston were kept in. But no, it was, it was amazing. It was bittersweet because it was my it was realizing the dream of being a footballer. But we had six managers in three seasons, and Ooh, very, sounds like us recently. Yeah, well, it's typical in it what happens in football clubs who, who aren't doing very well, but very unstable. And at the end of it, there were six of us whose contracts expired, and the club made a decision just to give a, a free transfer, release all six players, and I was the only one who got a club. I was the only one out of the six who got a football league club after that. And thankfully, Bobby Gould met Brian Kidd on holiday. Brian Kidd, obviously Fergie's right-hand man, he managed me at, at Preston and was assistant manager under Tommy Booth at Preston. And we got on really well, Kiddo and I. And he bumped into Bobby Gould on holiday. Bobby Gould said to him, because at the time Rovers had financial problems, they were moving from Eastville to yeah. Twerton Park. Although Bobby Gould didn't ever tell me that till I'd signed. And um, he said to Kiddo, and looking for a centre-half who's got a bit of experience, good pro, good in the dressing room, not going to cost me an awful lot of money. Great free-kick taker. Great at free-kicks, <laughs> and I need a tash. And um, <laughs> he said, there's only one tash you want to sign. And he said, Jeff Twentyman. So Bobby Gould rang me, and I'd only ever played against... I'd been to Eastfield playing against Rovers. And so um, I didn't have any other offers, so he, he's offered me a two-year deal. And I'm thinking, yeah, I fancy a bit of this. And... Um, that weekend, so we've agreed in principle over the phone for me to sign for Rovers, 1986. And um, I've gone in the booze of that weekend up on Merseyside and there's a, a group of lads used to sit in the corner, big reds and blues, Liverpool Everton fans. But one of them was like your archetypal anorak, he knew everything about footy, or thought he did, and we all thought he did as well. So they said to me, where are you going to play your football next, next season then, Jeff? I know, oh, yeah, I'm leaving Preston. I'm going down to Bristol to play for Bristol Rovers. And they went, Bristol Rovers, is that blue and white or red? Because, like, you know, that far away, they're not that sure. Like, I said, oh, blue and white quarters. And then this guy pipes up, he goes, oh, yeah, I was reading about them. They're going to play at a non-league ground next year, oh. aren't they? <laughs> I've gone, are they? <laughs> like, Bobby Gould, I mentioned this. And he went, yeah, I'm sure they're going to play at Twerton Park, Bath City. But I could be wrong, but I think I'm right. I went... And in those days, there was no such thing as a mobile phone. So this was a call to make tomorrow morning from, yeah. <laughs> from, the, from the landline. So I rings BG up like, Bob, it's not a, it's not a deal breaker. I said, but where are we going to be playing our games next season? And Bob goes, oh, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he goes, we're going to play at Twerton Park. I went, oh, yeah, tell me about Twerton Park. And he went, it's the best non-league ground in the country. So I'm thinking, oh, this is a new build. It must be like shiny, brand new. Like, I can't wait for this. Like, I know, with respect, you've been there, you guys. I mean, Twerton Park is not the best non-league ground in the country. Never was, never will be. But great place for me to play football for the next seven and a bit years. But, um, and when I saw it, I thought, wow. Like, the gutters on the far side, the popular side, it was a wet day and they, 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 they were just overflowing. Oh. And I looked to my left and there's no one behind that goal because you're not allowed fans there. Look to the right, it's open. And, and I thought, wow, I've moved my whole life down here. My whole family, like Mark, who you know, he's 35 now. He's five weeks old. I'm thinking, I've done this. Mm. But having said that, 
I immediately sensed something about the club and the people that it was right. And so it proved to be very right, you know. But no, Bob never told me. He forgot. <laughs> well, it got you in, so you yeah, know, I'm not in. complaining that was about amazing. it. It's yeah. the start of an amazing time in my life. You it's know all right I mean? to tell a little white lie every now and again, isn't yeah, it? Of course it is. <laughs> so, career at Rovers then, 252 appearances, six goals, not quite the 23 six. that you had at Chorley. I'll tell you what, I went for quality down here, not quantity. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did a little bit of reading up, and it does seem a lot of those were headers, classic centre back goals. Mm. Um, yeah, De- Devin, Devin White and I used to go up and try and play carnage in the opposing box on corners and free kicks. So we had a routine. Ollie, Ollie took the corners. Ollie was brilliant, right or left side. He could just clip it near post. And Devin and I used to just like take a chance. I used to go near post, go for the flick on, eyebrows, and then someone would come <laughs> in on second ball. Or we'd go like route one and Dev. Dev was a brute of a guy. Devin White. Gentle giant, really, because he's the most... Well, soft as anything off the pitch, but on the pitch, wow. He was tough as, really strong, big spring, elbows. And we just, so it was either near post flick on or it was crash it on the keeper and Dev would go flying on the keeper. And the number of times, you got away with more then than you do now. But even then, the number of times Dev would like smash the goal into the back of the net, it was like, oh, it's... It was it was funny to watch, like you know what I mean. And he had this really high pitched voice, Dev. Like so, when the ref blew for a foul, he'd go, "Oh, ref, everyone's a foul! Ref, everyone's a foul!" He does but, not look but, like the guy that had a high pitched voice. No, no, he doesn't. But the only one he shouted. But now Dev is a class act, and it was great to see him the night before the Scunthorpe seven nil demolition and that amazing day. Like the the current Rovers fans paid tribute to us lads, and we were there, and Dev was down, and just great to catch up with him, like you know. So yeah, um, I scored a few headers. Um, but the best goal was left foot and I use my left foot about three times a season but anyway a few headers few headers <laughs> I mean you got player of the year in 1987 I did you did I did that's yeah. quite an achievement isn't yeah. it, to get four yeah, centre back as well as punch. really proud as punch uh, it wasn't like the big glitzy they, they do a like, big glitzy night now don't they and, like th- this was down at uh, you wouldn't know about these kind of places Bieber's which was a nightclub opposite St Mary Redcliffe Church <laughs> I think it's now a steakhouse. Though. I think it's now that very good steakhouse, I think. But in those days, they had the Supporters Club Player of the Year event at Bieber's. So there was no sit-down meal and there's no formality. Like, it was just a load of like people drinking beers. And um, they did it in a very crafty way. But I was very proud. They, they announced all of a sudden the, the Player of the Year awards. And like, they got to the, the Player of the Year. And the supporters who, you know, let's be honest, that's the most important one to get. And it was the only one at the time. They'd voted for me as the best player, which, oh. yeah, I was chuffed. You're still punch. chuffed now. Yeah, I can see it yeah, on your face. Like, You're delighted yeah. with this. Yeah, there's great. no greater accolade than the fans saying you were, you were okay. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we kind of skipped over this left-footed goal because we were chatting before we started recording saying how you only score headers. And you were like, yeah. well, actually, my most important goal... Oh. Was in my left foot. So talk, yeah, yeah. How long we got? It. Set the scene. Got? How long we got? No, it was um, settle down, listeners. The next hour is going to be <laughs> Jeff talking us through this. <laughs> for, for, those, for those who was there, who were there, they were saying, "What? Twenty men left foot? He never kicked it with his left foot. It was uh, Tranmere away, and it was the fifth to last game of the season, I think. I'm saying fifth to last, maybe fourth to last. It was a bank holiday Monday at um, Prenton Park, and we're chasing promotion um, in the old what was then the third division and um, City were top and we were trying to catch them Preston were three points behind us but we had a game in hand sorry Tranmere were three points behind us with a game in hand 
but we had a game in hand. And um, so we knew if we beat them at Prenton Park, we'd, we'd get them out of the championship race, really. So um, we went behind. They were leading 1-0. Loads of gas heads behind the goal. And then we got a free kick. Jonah was taking it. Vaughan Jones going to knock it in. And like I said earlier, Devon and I normally went and played crash ball on their centre-halves and goalie like you know, because we just did. <laughs> and um, so Jonah's going to swing it in left-footed. And I made this, like, unauthorised decision not to go in on the crash ball with Dev. I just thought, I'm going to hang out on the edge of the box. I thought, Jerry will give me a right bollocking because my job was to go in and, you know, get your head cut open or cut someone else's head open and the ball will drop and someone with some consummate skills maybe score from the knockdown. So anyway, I made this decision not to go in on crash ball. So I just left Big Dev to go and battle with their two centre-halves. So Jonah's clipped it in from about 35 yards Dev's penalty spottish they've gone up and I'm not sure whether Dev had knocked it down or they won the first ball header and it's come out to me I'm out on the edge of the D left of centre and it's on my left foot I thought oh my god on my left foot <laughs> and no natural ability kicked in at this point believe you me so all I thought was keep it down keep it down and thereafter what happened was um, something between being very fortunate and an absolute fluke <laughs> I've hit it down into the ground it's hit the turf about 10 yards out and took a massive bounce into the top corner. And Eric Nixon's in goal. He was a decent keeper for, for Tranmere at the time. He's gone to his left, but there's no way he's getting there because it's gone right in the postage box on the bounce. That's the equaliser. Then we got a penalty about 10 minutes later. The, it was like they like annihilated poor old Carl Saunders, these two defenders, both booted him up in the air. Clear penalty. Ollie, who was great on pens, um, he slotted it and we won 2-1. So that wow. put that we won two one, that put us six points ahead of them. With a get still with a game in hand, so they were bye bye. See you later. And then I think I think that was the fourth to last game. We went to Notts County and lost. Beat Shrewsbury, beat City three nil. Went to Blackpool last game of the season. Had to win to win the league, and there was no complacency. It was just a matter of how many we'd win by, um, and we did. Um, but there was left the old left footer was very was important right. goal. I yeah, mean, it, the build yeah. up to yeah. promotion is so important. Totally yeah. uncoachable, the goal. Totally uncoachable, <laughs> what I did, but high <laughs> skill factor. Any video footage of that? You got that? Yeah. We need to find Watch it. Watch that every night before bed, do you? Before you... <laughs> you know what? I don't. And if you, if you actually went in my place, you, the, 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 there's no inclination or anything that I ever played football because there isn't anything on display or anywhere. It was just it's part of my life. I'm exceptionally proud of. Um, and I love talking about it, as you can tell. But I don't, I don't make a big thing of it. No, so I don't know. I don't look back at the the days. It's it's all it's all stacked all up and, there, all up up there, really. And you know, um, to know you played a part, a small part in a big part of Rovers' history is incredibly satisfying. That yeah. Absolutely. No, I don't look at it though. No, I don't look it's, at it. Um, it's interesting, obviously. We weren't there, but we know exactly how we would have felt. Yeah, I know exactly how the gas heads would have felt Ooh. when that ball went into that, the, the back of the net when yeah. you just yeah, yeah. swung well, at it with your left foot yeah. you know it's just the elation behind that goal must have been insane oh, it was amazing there was, there was loads of them it was a Monday a bank holiday I'm sure it was a bank holiday Monday um, but you know I used to go on the cop and cheer my team Liverpool so you know people always say to me I, I mean I played in I think I, no I don't think I know I played in 10 Bristol derbies before I lost one league and cup and in those days it was two every year and we had a few league cup ones and bits and pieces and um People say, how, how did Rovers? How did you guys achieve that against City? Well, they, they had a group that kind of changed every season. Six would come in, six would go out. Whereas we were a, a fairly 
static group who, who a lot of us played a lot of games for Rovers and we knew what it meant you know what I mean what it, goes, what it means to you guys to go to work on a Monday when you've won and you might not even go to work on a Monday if you've lost because it, it's that important you know and I was raised on Bristol Derby uh, Liverpool Derbies Mersey Derbies so um, yeah you know, what it's, you know what it's about yeah so to play a small part brilliant no, well, I'd say you played a big part. Yeah, I mean, big part, big part of the promotion squad. Yeah, yeah. That goal aside, what are your best memories of playing for Rovers? Is there anything else that stands out in particular, or is it just promotion? Um, I mean, I'm very proud that I played three over three seasons without missing a game. Wow. Um, that'll never be done again because it won't happen in the modern game, will it? Really? Um, so it was the so the middle season when we won the championship was the middle one of the three. The year before was we got to the playoffs, was the first one, and then we got into the championship, tier two now, and played every game that season as well. Um, and then I was growing great guns. I was really proud of that. And then back in the day, it was either the shoot of the goal magazine, which were, you know, what every football fan read. They did this article at the beginning of a season and they, they listed the players who'd made the most successive appearances in the EFL, Football League. And top was Neville Southall play for Everton second was Nigel Martin former teammate Crystal Palace and third was Jeff Twentyman so I was the leading outfield player and playing in goal I suppose you can get injured and all that but there's less chance perhaps I don't know but anyway so I was massively proud of this really mm. proud and then with this horrendous experience where we played um, the Gloucester Cup pre-season at Ashton Gate and they, they gave the game to a local referee I can't remember his name now he's from Stonehouse in Gloucestershire Brian somebody and it was his kind of final hurrah he was retiring so they gave him the game and they just brought in the professional foul back then so if you were the last defender and committed a foul to an opposing striker going through automatic red so we're playing this like fairly non-event of a game if I'm being honest and the ball's played over the top and Wayne Allison I was talking about him talking about this with him a few weeks back on, 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 on my show because he was a guest and Chief's got the other side of me. And I've turned, and I didn't, as soon as I sit here, bring him down deliberately, but our, our legs got kind of intertwined, which he laughed at, and he's gone to ground. So the ref's coming towards me, and he's going for his top pocket. So bearing in mind, I've got these, like, all these games, you know, without losing, missing a game in, in a row, and he's coming towards me. And I'm going, Brian, don't, don't do that. You don't need to send me off. <laughs> he goes, yes, I do, Jeff. It's the new rules. And he almost, you know, he almost enjoyed doing it. So uh, he sent me off. I got a one-match ban. So I went from being third in that list all the way down, snakes and ladders, to the very oh, bottom no. of it. Like, you know what I mean? Brian, all, you did not need to do that. because of a pre-season game. If you're listening, game, like, yeah. yeah. I can't remember his name, Brian someone. That is anyway, cruel, isn't it? I was, yeah, I was, I was gutted. But going back to your question, so that, that, that on a very, very personal basis is extremely rewarding and satisfying. Um, but no, winning the league at Blackpool, being the best of the best, and mum and dad were there... Um, and they were amazing parents they both passed on now quite some time ago but amazing parents to me and then big supporters of my football as well and then um, for dad to be there was very special because he was chief scout at Liverpool so he normally on a Saturday would be watching the next Ian Rush or the next Phil Neal and I didn't know he was going to be there so on the day it was extraordinary I mean three quarters of the crowd must have been gas heads maybe more um, we won 3-0 we're crown champions the gas heads have all come on and this amazing sea of blue and white and we were up on this kind of balcony the players looking down on it and it was amazing and then for that, an amazing moment was like just away from the madding crowd I looked just beyond it 
and there with mum and dad just stood on their own in the sand, you know, and dad gave me a big thumbs up, which from the dad was a massive bit of praise, like, you know what I mean? And for them to be there and share that special moment was priceless, you know, absolutely priceless, yeah. really. So, I mean, that was the, that was by far the, the best moment, them being there to share the... To be a champion's amazing, you know what I mean? There's only four teams every year who are champions, you know? Mm. I mean, we've never seen it in our lifetime. No, no, no exactly. And you put it in the context of the Rovers' history... Um, it was an absolute privilege to, to be there and uh, for them to be there and see it with them. Mum went to all the Northwest games. She was like, she'd go to all like Blackpool, Blackburn, Preston, Chor- uh, Chester, whoever whoever's in the Northwest at the time. Mum would always go, but Dad never did because he was working. Mm. So yeah. for him to be there was was absolutely mint. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You should be so proud, honestly. I oh, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was- I know I would have been beside myself if I was a fan in that yeah. in that, that was stadium. Amazing. That is on that is on YouTube if you watch yes, it. Yes, I've yeah. watched it a few times. Not the best quality, yeah. obviously, but no, you know no, the picture that, and, and the, the the one I seen was the commentator was from the um, the Blackpool yeah club club service whatever you'd call it um, and um, all the Rovers fans at the end and he deadpan said, "Oh, this game should be abandoned." Or something <laughs> like that. It was just really funny the way he said it. Like, yeah, that, really. it's but, great. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's on YouTube, like you say, so people should check that out if they mm, haven't seen definitely. it. I mean, yeah, the quality just makes it look like a sea of blue and white running yeah, onto that pitch. But yeah, it was quite, quite well, I think there was about, was there about seven, 8,000 gas heads that yeah. were, went to Blackpool that weekend? Yeah, I, mean, I think three sides of the ground were yeah. Rovers fans. Yeah, it was amazing. Because Blackpool then, had nothing yeah. to play for, right? So Paul Nixon, no, I think they'd been relegated. Yeah, they'd that already was gone it. down, like, yeah, so they were on the crest of a slump. Um, and then what happened? Paul Nixon got the third goal and like the bit of pitch invasion. And eventually the pitch just got narrower. It couldn't get short because of the goals, but the Rovers fans had encroached on the touchline on both sides, <laughs> like, you know. And in those days, Blackpool, the changing rooms were in the corner. So it was the, t- the end we were defending, it was in our like kind of left back position. So the refs, in those days, you'd chat with refs and, you know, you had the, the banter and the crap with refs. So I just said to the refs, I said, listen, whatever his name was, so then when you're going to blow, 20 seconds before give me the nod because I wanted to get like into that corner before like you know yeah. experience that cat's experience <laughs> talk about experience that's experience so he's, he's gone Jeff like that thumbs up so I've just started to run to the corner and Jonah said to me what are you doing mm-hmm. and then the ref blew the whistle and he realised what had happened so a load of the lads got caught in the, the, the fans and all that and one, one of them I think it was Paul Nixon Paul Nixon's come in the dressing room and all he's got on is is like under 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 <laughs> Pants, slips, we used to call them. So someone's had his shirt, shorts, socks, and boots have all gone. Wow! So that's why <laughs> I wanted chaos. to kind of slightly avoid that one. Like, but now that was that was an amazing day at Blackpool, and um, that was just a special, special year to to only lose five games and concede less goals than Liverpool, who won the first division and play eight games more than them. It was it was it was special times. Yeah, it's brilliant, and obviously Jerry Francis is the amazing. man responsible. Um, but originally managed by Bobby Gold and then um, Jerry Francis later on so what is what was the difference between those two managers and what was so special about Jerry Francis that he was able to to take us to the title yeah both both had different qualities um, Jerry is the best football brain I have the privilege to work with and be coached by he had this amazing ability to make us all better players whether you were Nigel Martin in goal all the way through the back four midfield four and, and front two he made us all better players, immeasurably better. But he wasn't great at... Jerry wasn't great at man management. Um, he didn't like to do the hard chats if he was leaving someone out or, or things like that. Um, but his ability to improve as a player just overrode all of that. Amazing. He was like... 
you know, nowadays they, they employ analysts to, to look at teams and they do it all on the internet and all that. Jerry just did it on his head. So you'd have a team meeting on a Monday. Say we'd beaten Wolves, say 2-0 at Twerton Park and Steve Bull hadn't scored. So I'm thinking, great, done my job there. Bully hasn't scored. We've worn happy days. So you'd sit in the team meeting in this little pokey room at Fry's over at Canesham, the Cadbury Chocolate Factory. And um, Jerry would stand or sit and start going through incidents. And he'd go, Matty, my nickname was Matty after a Brookside character. He goes, that time... That time Steve Bull pulled off your shoulder and like he got a shot in and if it wasn't for him and he pointed at Nigel Martin, you know, would have been one nil down. And I think, I can't even remember that, like, because he didn't score so it didn't kind of matter, you know, whereas for Jerry, every detail was finite, every detail was absolutely key, like, you know what I mean? And he didn't, he didn't have analysts to say, right, look at Jeff there. He just remembered it, like, you know, scary. It was absolutely wow. scary, brilliant. But it made you a better player. So all you knew then was, as the balls were the left back and Steve Bull... If your body shape didn't let you see the ball and the man, you'd, you wouldn't know where the man is. So he'd teach you to open your shoulders up so you'd see where the ball's coming from. And if Steve Ball pulls off two paces, you adjust your body two paces so he's got no advantage on you. It's just clever, clever stuff. Bob didn't have the same level of football acumen, but he was brilliant at man management. So a little example of that one. When I'd signed for Rovers, um, my ex-wife was heavily pregnant with, with Mark, who, who, as we've mentioned. And um, so I'm down here in Diggs at Eastville. Again, it's before you had mobile phones and all that. So um, a mate of mine worked for BT, and he, he lent me his pager. This was advanced technology, <laughs> a pager. So if someone wanted to try and get hold of you, they rang a number, and this little thing beeped in your pocket. <laughs> Amazing, I had a pager. No one else had a pager, but I did. So, so she's gone past a date of the baby being due and it's gone through to a Sunday and back in those days football there wasn't much football played on a Sunday certainly not at the level we played so um, we were playing Newport at home on a Sunday at Twerton Park it was a league game so in the morning my ex-wife's gone into labour up on Merseyside she hadn't moved down at this point so I'm in digs she's up there so the pager hadn't gone off my mum rang Bobby Gould to say that my ex had gone into, into labour. And BG, being a, like a real good individual, like for individuals, said, oh, I'll send him home. I'll send him home now. Mm. And my mum made the decision for me without me knowing this. She said, oh, no, no, let him play the game first because it's from a hardcore football family. So um, we've played Newport, drew two apiece. And I've come off afterwards and um, just about to get cleaned up. And Bob said, don't be in there too long. And I went, I shed the baby. But no, I don't think so. But she went into labour this morning. So, but your mum made the decision not to tell you. So I thought, oh, sounds like mum. <laughs> so anyway, in my little Vauxhall Astra, I've left Twerton Park, <laughs> driven like an absolute lunatic, A46, motorways all the way up to Fazakley Hospital on Merseyside. Got there. It's quite good timing, actually, because I'd, I'd missed all the boring weight. And about 40 minutes later, my son arrives, Mark. Amazing feeling. Um, wow. And about 20 minutes later, half an hour later, the, the, the nurse or, or the sister who's in charge of the maternity, she goes, Mr. Twentyman, I went, yeah, I said, there's a phone call for you in, in my office. I thought, phone call? No one knows I'm here. So goes the phone. Hello, Jeff, BG. 
So it's Bobby Gould. Mm. So he'd found out, hospital, got through and all that. So this way it gets even better. So just checking everything's all right. I said, yeah, it's really good. Amazing. Like, you know, I said, I can't quite believe it. No, I saw the birth, blah, blah, blah. And the following Tuesday, Rovers were playing City at Ashton Gate in the, um, probably the Leyland Daft Cup at the time. Like, you know, the, 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 I don't know what they call it these days, Papa John Trophy or whatever oh, it's yeah. called. That, that what kind was of, the JPT? Yeah, JPT and all that, yeah. So massive game for Bob because they're playing City and he goes to me, what do you think? I said, I could probably do without it to be honest. He says, okay, this is the story. You've played today, you've got a slight strain but nothing serious. I'll see you Friday and you'll play Saturday. Now to me, that was just an amazing bit of man management that he appreciated that this was the birth of my first child um, he knew that I wouldn't be in the right frame of mind travelling and all that from Liverpool and all that and, and what he wanted me to do was get, get over the couple of days of elation do a bit of training on my own be down Friday train with the lads and play Saturday so that was a different side of Jerry probably wouldn't have got that because we had a big bust up no it wasn't a bust up we had a, we had a difference of opinion over my brother's wedding where I was best man and he wouldn't give me a day off training for it whereas Bob was very much into family things like so the two of them were equally important in my life and I learned a huge amount from them both and they're both still great buddies we still I spoke with Bob last week actually did you I was wondering that yeah yeah and Jerry and I keep in touch yeah yeah so for fans of our generation who didn't see you guys play under Jerry what was he like sort of tactically because I'm a bit of a tactics nerd I guess yeah yeah into that sort of stuff I know not everyone is but I feel like my impression of it is that the game has got sort of more tactical as it's gone on in that you hear like Barton obviously the Rovers manager now talk and in every press conference he's talking about the formation and yeah, yeah. high press and all this yeah, sort of yeah. stuff yeah. and speaking to my dad who did watch you guys it sounded like you were sort of 4-4-2 quite direct up to Devon White and sort of play off the flick-ons and stuff was he quite tactically like aware was it a lot of like this is what we're going to do without the ball this is what we're going to do with the ball or was it quite simple Instructions, if you know what I mean. A um, bit of both, really. Um, I think football across the piece was different. I mean, four four two was the norm, four three three occasionally, but not very often. But Jerry, he was a bit more sophisticated than what you just said. In, in, in terms of in possession, we had five ways of attacking. So that that would be in simple terms: four four two. If the right fullback had the ball. And the right side of midfield player wasn't tightly marked, passed the ball to him, fairly obvious. If he was tightly marked, he would run inside. The fullback would play the ball down the line and the first centre forward would spin out and get it. If, if neither of those were possible, you'd play diagonal ball to probably Devon, who'd smash up a centre half and then Carl or Gary Penrice would get on the flicks. Um, and then another way of getting into the final third of the opposing team was... Um, Devon or Gary would come short, hole in behind, and Ian Holloway, would, who had good legs, would would ring, uh, would run and spring the offside trap, so to speak. Mm. So it was a little bit more sophisticated, but not massively so. Defensively, we were absolutely, well, we were like computerised. I knew exactly where Jock was, I knew where Steve Yates was, I knew where Vaughan was, and, and there, as I said earlier, there was no fluke that we conceded less goals than Liverpool, who won the first division. Mm. Because um, we were regimented, absolutely regimented. Um, lots of training ground repetition. 
we used to laugh about it saying oh put the floppy disk in because we were going to go out and do our floppy defensive disc. play today the floppy <laughs> disk that was high tech at the time Kaz the floppy disk like you know what I mean and Jerry Jerry was funny because like he, he, he was so proud of our defensive record back in those days uh, what was the Bristol Evening Post the Post now they used to do stats on the game and it would say how many how much possession you had how many corners you had how many shots on target and then they had this little kind of weird stat was how many times you caught the opposition offside. So I'd go in on a Monday and Jerry had say, look to me. All right, Matty, yeah, fine, Jerry. How are you? Yeah, good weekend. Yeah, good. Yeah, well played. You did all right Saturday. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Um, then he'd go, do you see how many times we caught them offside? <laughs> and I'd go, no. He goes, we caught them offside eight times. <laughs> and I'd go, all right, like, they, what do you say to that? Like, yeah. like we'd won three 0 and he didn't want to talk about the glorious goals or the near post flick on. He wanted to talk about the fact we caught him offside eight times because yeah. he's defensive. And he went on Jerry to be honest. And he, he worked with Tony Pulis a lot, and he worked at Palace and Stoke and in the Premier League. And and even when he went to QPR and Tottenham, he, he, he used the same principle defensively. And he used to say to me, "The Tottenham lads can't grasp it as well as like." You and Vaughan and Yatesy and Jock did and Ollie in midfield because it wasn't just wasn't just the four of us. It was a team, a team defended from front to back, like you know what I mean. Um, but it was comedy. You used to think getting catching the opposition offside eight times was was better to talk about than winning three <laughs> 0 But a, a football genius, uh, Nigel Martin. I think everyone knows the story. I the blame. tea lady. Yeah, tea yeah. lady. It's true. Absolutely true. This this slightly Brilliant. slightly chubby lad turned up on trial. And like he's in, this is at Hambrook where the driving range is now. That's where we used to train uh, by the M32. And um, this this lad's in goal, and he's he's not looking bad. You know, he looks all right. He can make a few saves and this and that. And then um, he's had a good session. So I've said to the lads, we're doing a shooting session at the end of it, saying, right, let let's show this kid who's on trial like we're the pros, and you know, he's he's got a lot to learn. So it was a simple drill. So play it on the edge of the box, back to goal. Where the line in front of him, play the ball in, lay it off, and have a shot. Like you know what I mean. And like, we're shooting and not many people are scoring, like, you know what I mean? And I says to the lads, come on, get fingers out, like, I'm club captain here, like, and next thing we're trying harder and harder, like, you know, and he keeps saving them, like, he's saving <laughs> eight out of every ten, and like, most of them are on target, probably not mine, but most of them were. And then, it's true the story that J- Jerry's got him in the office, knows he's got a real keeper on his hand, and at the time, Nigel played for St. Blasey, down near St. Austell. And he used to deliver furniture for a local furniture company. That was his job, like. So, so Jerry's got him in the office. And he said to him, do you want to be a footballer? And Nigel went, yeah. <laughs> and he goes, well, I'm not really sure about you, but I'm going to give you a chance. Jerry knew about him and, you know, he knew he was, he was a real keeper in the making, like. So he said, um, and Nigel's gone, wow, this is amazing. He goes, how much do you earn doing what you do down at the, um, delivering the furniture? And he went, £100 a week. This is true. These are the figures that are true. And Jerry goes, do you want to be a footballer? He's gone, yeah. He goes, I'll pay you £110 a week. (laughs) And Nigel said, where do I sign? And he signed for £110 a week. And he went home every weekend. So it was costing him money. He was probably worse off. But he gave him the chance to be a a, a professional footballer. It's a bit like me earlier on with Chorley and all that. You know what I mean? It's something if you really want it, you've got to make the sacrifice so Nigel went off with England under 21s or 23s fairly early on in his career and he'd come back from from being coached by England and Jerry had this thing about his starting position on corner so we're defending a corner 
he wanted Nigel in the middle of the goal, which makes sense to me, because if you have to go forward, you've got a chance of getting there. If you've got to go back, you're halfway there anyway. So he's come back from England, and he, he's not in the middle of his goal. And Jerry's like, Jerry's like affronted, like, so hang on, Jerry, stop the whole session. And he goes, Jerry used the industrial language, it's, I probably won't use, but it's the F-bomb. And he's gone to him, what the F are you doing, like? And Nigel's going, what do you mean? He goes, your starting position. You get in the middle of the goal. And he goes, well, at England, they told me to be like two-thirds forward. And Jerry's like, gone livid, like. He goes, and who's your coach at England? And he said a name. And like, Jerry used to always go on about how he captained England. Like, he used to love his England days. Like, and he's gone, and how many times did he captain England, by the way, like that? And Nigel went, I'll stand in the middle of the goal. Like like, I mean, and Nigel went Brilliant. on to be the first ever million pound keeper, like, because he was unbelievable. Oh, the saves he used to make. Yeah. I think there was a spell, again, I'm not massive on research, but there was, a, there was a time, again, I was playing, he was doing the work. I think he kept 12 clean sheets in 13 games or something, like, you know what I mean? Amazing. And they were on about last year with um, Belshaw, who's, who's a great keeper, don't be wrong, and uh, even he paid respect when however many clean sheets he kept last year was brilliant, but it was still some way behind that season when Nigel kept, yeah. like... And was, what a story! It was amazing. As well. I mean, that transfer story, tea lady, and was it Cornwall? She's on. Holiday? Yeah, yeah. She like, spotted him there and said she come back and said to Jerry, "Oh, I've seen this goalie or something. Or something he's not bad." And You'll all never that, hear like, anything I mean. like that again, yeah, will you? Yeah. And to put it into context, I'll get, I'll get, I'll give you the context of that. I'm not talking money; just get, just from comparison. So Nigel paid signed for 110 pound a week, and I was on. I remember it vividly. I was on 275 pound a week plus 25 pound per game appearance. So. 300 effectively and he's signed for a third of that wow. he's probably got loads more than I have now but yeah. that, that, I'm only saying that as a yeah, so you yeah. can work it out like so that's yeah. how much he wanted to be a footballer wow. amazing what a story it's incredible and he didn't barter on it he didn't say oh no give me 150 he signed for 110 which is amazing and he's the same bloke now I still keep in touch with Nigel he's the same bloke now as he was then totally unaffected by it very modest wow um, what's great, he doing now he's still in football he's, yeah uh, no he's doing a little bit of goalkeeping coaching retired lives up in Harrogate oh. got a family a holiday home down in Cornwall but lives Harrogate's his home now he plays a lot of cricket plays cricket for Harrogate and I think he keeps obviously keeps wicket goalkeepers keep yeah, wicket don't yeah. they mm. but what a fantastic bloke yeah. amazing bloke not gone back to furniture delivery then no no <laughs> I, I, another quick Nigel story he used to be my I used to room with me on away games um I think when he signed, he put him with me. I was like senior pro or whatever, captain. And, and um, back in those days, going back to the boot room story at, at Rovers, you used to get an allowance. I think it was something like £100 a season. So if you wanted to blow it on the best boots there were for 100 quid and take a chance on one pair of boots, you do that. Or if you had a steady Eddie and went for like £33 pair of boots and got three a season, you'd be okay. So... We were playing away at York City and one of the very few overnight stays. So Nigel and I are in a room together. So you're in a room, two single beds. He makes the tea and does all the hard yards. And So we've had our evening meal and he gets his kit bag out. And I'm thinking, this is strange. You never what you're doing here like. And he gets his boots out and he starts to clean them. And I said, what are you doing? Because this is a no-no. You don't clean your boots like in the club captain's room like. He goes, oh, I just need to give him a boot to clean. And the next thing, I looked at his boot, and his right boot, it's like the sole and the upper are detached. Aww. And I said, mate, 
look at the state of your boots. He goes, oh, yeah, I know. I'm going to put a bit of tape around them. <laughs> see it these days, I said, mate, you're a professional footballer. He goes, but I've spent me 100 quid. He said, I've got no more money to spend on my oh, boots. Oh, I love this guy. <laughs> and I've gone, that ain't right, mate. I'm going to try and get you a deal with someone. So we played a game and he's put his black tape around his boots, <laughs> played the game. So on the Monday, I knew a guy, uh, he's called him Spider, Meller, Ian Meller, his name. His son, his son played at Liverpool, uh, Neil Meller. Oh, Neil Meller. Yeah. yeah. So Ian's his dad, Spider, he's called him because he had legs up to his bumming <laughs> armpits. Good player, played at Sheffield Wednesday and a decent player. So... He was a Puma rep for England, like so. His job was to like get players signed up for Puma and you know give him a few boots and you know. So I rang him up. I said, "Spider, I said I got a goalie plays with me, mate. I said he's gonna be he's gonna be decent, like he's gonna go to the top." I said, "He needs some help with some gear." I said, "He's not after money." I said, "But his boots are falling apart." I said, "If you'll get him a few pairs of boots, some trainers." few shell suits because tracksuits went in there it was all shell suits calm down calm down I said a few t-shirts I said you're going to have a player when he makes the big time who, who you know you'll have him signed up you don't have to give him oh yeah I've heard this before Jeff I said alright mate no problem I've asked you've said no that's fine he said no I said, he said I hear it too many times and I've been bitten no burnt too many times I said okay mate that's fine that's absolutely fine so I got back to Nigel on the Monday morning at I said listen mate Spider said no I'm really sorry I've tried my best he said oh thanks for trying I appreciate it like that. So. Nigel went on to be the first ever million pound goalie and there's only ever one first ever million pound goalie and that's Nigel, no one else so he's gone to Palace played the cup final and he's gone to Leeds and then Everton or Everton and then Leeds Whichever, anyway he's at Ellen Road and I've gone up to cover a game City were playing him in the, in the League Cup so I've gone up and I've, I've let him know I'm there and he said I'll see you, I'll put a ticket on come in the players lounge, have a chat afterwards so I'm watching Nigel so Bearing in mind, I've gone to try and get him a Puma deal. He's wearing Adidas, like three white stripes, bright stripes under the floodlights at, at Ellen Road. And I had a little chuckle thinking, wow, because at the time they were the big competitors, Puma, Adidas, Adidas, Puma. like. So um, gone in the um, gone in afterwards and um, I'm going to chat with him. I said, oh, mate, I said, I see you wearing Adidas. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, you know what happened? I said, what? I said, you know that bloke you tried to get me a deal with? I said, yeah. He said, when I signed for Palace... He said, he's rang me up and he's offered me a deal. I said, what did you do? He said, I told him to fuck off. <laughs> he said, because when I needed him, he didn't want to help me. I mean, fair enough, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, we still chuckle about it now. Like, yeah, so, so, we, yeah, so he went like first ever million pound keeper. And as I say, had that guy just given him a few bits and pieces, Nigel would have been, he's a really loyal bloke. Like, He'd, he wouldn't have wanted money or anything. But no, he said, there's no way. He said, he wouldn't help me when I needed a pair yeah. of boots. Mm. And then he was a pro footballer with taped up boots at the Rovers. Would you believe it? Oh, <laughs> wow. I honestly, this guy's amazing. We need oh, to get yeah. him on the pod. Yeah, <laughs> he's ledge. Absolute ledge. I mean, like, um, I mean, he sounds great. You played alongside some other brilliant players. Ian Holloway, Phil Prunell, Vaughan Jones, Carl Saunders. I yeah, mean, yeah. like, have you got any, any other stories about any of them? Who was the clown of the dressing room? Who was your best mate? Um, clown of the dressing room? Um... Didn't really, have, we didn't, didn't really have a clown in the dressing room. Ollie was the Ollie was the heartbeat of the dressing room. He he, he wasn't the best player. Gary Penrice, who moved on to Watford, the year we won the league, we sold Nigel and Penny, our two best players, for decent money to keep the club going. Apparently, and yet we still managed to win the league, which is bonkers, absolutely <laughs> bonkers. Um, 
Penny was the most talented outfield player, but Ollie was the heartbeat of the of the team. Um, I, if you're asking for the joke, I mean, I, I was a bit of a prankster to be honest. I know it's hard to believe. Was it I you? Was it? A guy and all that like, but I did like a bit of banter and, and bits and pieces. Curveball. I um, we used to just do silly things like we trained at Fry's, which was maintained impeccably by a full-time ground staff. And they never quite cottoned on that footballers like think they're funny and would do silly things like. So I, I actually bumped into one of the guys who, who he's just retired from Fry's, and I recognised. I was in Bristol walking through the centre, and we, I saw it, and I recognised his face and everything. He was taking his daughter up for university or something, and um, we've got talking about the good old days, and we used to just do stupid things like. So say they'd have their lunch break, say at what between twelve thirty and one thirty. And they'd have like these big mowers, like the, with a tractor with the mower on the back, and they'd leave the key in there. So we just thought it was really funny <laughs> to go and like start the start the t- tractor up and drive it and go and hide it in another part. So they, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you laughed because like looking back on it, it's a bit infantile, but it's so childish. So, it, what I love. so we'd great. all we'd all stand behind the the porter cabins because obviously it's Rovers had porter cabins, and like half one, all right, he's coming back now, and he you would see him walk back, and he looked left. And he looked right, <laughs> yeah. and like he'd, then he'd think you could see you could you see the the brain going. I'm sure I left it here, <laughs> and we'd be absolutely cracked up laughing and all that. Like you know what I mean? And um, eventually, we'd just 20 minutes later say, "Oh no, it's behind there," and all that. Like you know, because you, you get really panic stricken. So we just do silly things like that in in many ways. Um, I know another story. Do you? where you dared Ian Holloway? to ping the ball at a cameraman when oh. you were training indoors you want to tell yeah, was, the listeners that about was, that beauty yeah that was bad <laughs> looking back on it this is an ironic I can't believe this, this by this the way this is someone oh, guy. this is someone who uh, went on to work in the media me and doing this like yeah we we couldn't train outdoors so we were in some gymnasium at a school I don't know it was Longwell Green or something <laughs> and um this guy's doing his job. He's at the bottom end of it with a camera. And bearing in mind, back in the day, cameras, they were massively expensive. <laughs> Tens of thousands of pounds worth of kit on his shoulder, this guy. And I've gone to Ollie, but you can't ping it on knock that camera. And so Ollie went, of course I can. I said, no, nah, you won't be able to do that, mate. No chance. You couldn't do that, Ollie. So Ollie goes, watch this, Matty. So he's put the ball down, he's pinged it, and he's hit the guy right on the full. And he's clipped in between like the camera and the side of his face, and the guy—it's like he's been hit by like Mike Tyson. He's, he's, his legs <laughs> oh, have gone, and all he's worried about is not <laughs> dropping his camera because this is thirty odd grand's worth. And um, it didn't—it wasn't really that funny, really. Oh. But you know, what I mean? we just—they were just just footballers being like infantile. You know, did what he mean? drop it? No, no, okay. he kept it up. He didn't, but he hit the deck, but kept the oh. camera up. Like you know, what I mean. Um, I, I still can't believe Ollie did it. I mean, I meant hit it. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's probably loads of things we did. We used to have an annual, um, every Christmas, we had, um, and it, it was, you, you had to be there. Um, Christmas night out with the lads, and you had to go in fancy dress. Um, and one year, Ollie went, Ollie always thought he was the best, he had the best fancy dress outfit. <laughs> and this year, he's gone as a bat. So he was all in black, <laughs> and he had black, bin liners along his arm taped to his sides on both sides and back in the day we used to go into the what was the nightclub of the time don't know what it's called down opposite the opposite the bridewell police station it was called odyssey maybe at the time he says without too much so we've gone in 
and the DJ's up on the top and he's looking down and he goes, oh, the Rovers lads have just come in. Um, oh, there's Fancy Dress. There's Devon White, Willie Winkle and there's Jeff Twentyman, Henry VIII and blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, bloke down there in the black though, I've no idea what he is. So Ollie's like jumping up and down and <laughs> wafted his wings. And he goes, mate, I've got no idea what you are or who you are, but, you know good idea like and Ollie was Ollie was like mortified that this no one knew what he was like a bat so 12 months later Ollie's gone as a Christmas tree and he's got this like green thing all around him with his little face cut out and he's got actually got lights as well and underneath it he's carrying a battery like a car battery which is powering the lights he's so serious about being like the best fancy dress yeah and the sweat's pouring out of him so I want to like one of my enduring memories, this is a long time ago, is looking down Corn Street, where we've got a little bit split. We're meeting in a pub at the top. And, like, looking down Corn Street, and down in the distance, you can see this green tree coming towards us <laughs> with the lights flashing. And as he got closer and closer, it was Ollie with a big smug smile on his face because he was the best fancy dress that year. <laughs> He'd gone from being a bat that no one could recognise to being, like, a Christmas tree, which was absolute genius. But carrying this batty round oh, underneath it. That is it. some dedication, isn't it? Yeah, it was big kudos, though. Fancy dress was important. I mean, he's still a bit of a character now, isn't he, Ollie? Oh, yeah, massive. Um, yeah, yeah. And obviously, Brilliant. like, this is a question I kind of want to ask, actually, because obviously he's, he's rovers through and through, isn't he? It's, like, in his blood. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. proper Bristolian. Um, there are a couple of other Bristolian players on your team at the time. I think you mentioned a couple yesterday. Bristolians yes. played in the team. Steve so, Yates. Steve Yates. So we, we, basically, we were talking yesterday when we were putting the script together, talking about the... What well, script this do? Yeah, I know. It's amazing. Okay. <laughs> I know. You'd never no, know. No, we don't. But, um, we were talking about the derby, basically, before Blackpool, and I was saying how I wonder if Jeff felt the derby is the same as some of the big Bristolian players in the team. So who was it? Like Pritchard? Was he a... Oh, he's after my time. Pritch one, Bristolian. Uh, uh, the team I, I played in, the Bristolians, uh, Steve Yates. Phil Purnell. Percy. Obviously Holloway. And Ollie, yeah, that would be it, really, yeah, because like it was Jock, Jock, Brianningol, he's from the northwest. Jock was Scottish, funny enough. Me, Yatesy Bristolian. Jonah was Welsh, but well into the Bristol Rovers way of having two two spells. Then there was Boris on the right, Reese, Ollie, Percy, Bristolian, and up top was Devon and Carl so no there's only there's three I think okay yeah, yeah. so we, we are jumping a bit all over the place here but talking about having two spells at Rovers obviously Jerry left and then came back didn't he to oh yeah second spell. were you still at the club at that no, point no I was at the BBC then oh uh, okay so that was yeah you know, he came back time. and Jerry the first time Jerry was successful by hours and hours and hours and hours and days and days and days of coaching whereas the second time he didn't put as much effort and time into it so that's why it didn't work mm. Uh, which was a great shame, really. But no, the first time he put loads of hours. And amazingly, he lives in Bagshot, which is miles away. Like M4, um, two hours, at least two and a half hours in a car. And he used to travel in every day. Wow. Fair play. Travel in, go home, travel in, go home. Just crazy, really. Mm. So I guess our question before we went off a bit was... Obviously, beating Bristol City 3 0. I mean, we should probably talk about that. I know yeah, 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 we yeah. want to talk about that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what was that like? I mean, with Bristolians in the team as well, like, were you all on the same page with it? Were, were people like Ollie and Percy, were they more up for it? Because obviously, for them, it's like in the blood or. Ollie was. Percy's quite, you know, Percy, don't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's the yeah, family, yeah. Yeah, he's quite laid back, isn't yeah, he? And he chill, is. Percy, you know what I mean? Ollie was like, mad 
rusty nails. You used to have this expression, rusty nails, Ollie, which it's analogy kind of like, imagine if you swallowed rusty nails, it would make you all aggressive and angry. You always had this thing about rusty nails. On Derby Day, rusty nails. When he left, his first Derby that I played in after he'd left and gone to QPR, he rang me up in the morning, nine o'clock, and I didn't know who it was. Again, it was pre-mobile phone. And hello? And the first two words that come down the line were, rusty nails. <laughs> It was Ollie ringing me up to wish us all the best, and he was just saying rusty nails. Um, oh no, it, it was a it was a mix of like Bristolians knowing what it meant to be playing for Rovers against City. It was a group of guys who'd worked exceptionally hard for a number of years to get to the point of wanting to get promoted and be champions. For me, it it was someone who'd been brought up on Mersey derbies and knew what it meant to win and lose. I said earlier to you guys, you know, for you guys going to work the next day or going to wherever you went the next day, if you win, you float there. If you go having lost, you might not even go at all. Like, you know, so, so it was was many, many things really. Um, It was our night. They had this idea on the night to try and dumb down the, the, the fans and any kind of, Antagonism that the teams would go out together side by side and Twerton Park the, the tunnel isn't really wide enough to get two football teams at the same time so it was a breathe in kind of thing but I always went out last it was a kind of superstitious thing for me that I always went out last and because I was going out last I saw all these city lads filing to the front of the queue like and I've said it on the radio and I'm happy to say it here right now it doesn't really matter there was fear in their eyes there was fear in their eyes and we knew as a group when we were warming up so we've gone out to warm up that we knew that if we played to the maximum we'd win the game because seeing fear in the eye of an opponent is a wonderful thing to see you know what I mean um, and so it proved to be like we, 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 we played pretty well on the night um, we, we won 3-0 obviously Devon got two Ollie got the other penalty Ollie was great on pens on the run-in, he scored three or four crucial penalties. Um, so, no, it meant so much to us all, but for different reasons, like, you know what I mean? Mm. And I talk to City fans, like, you know, on my show and what I do, like, and, I, and I, they, they talk to me about it, and I say, I'd never had any animosity to City, but I used to love beating them because I knew what it meant to you guys. Yeah. And all the gas heads listen to this, you know oh what I mean? Oh, boy. <laughs> and that was a very special thing to, to feel, that res- the level of responsibility to your fan base if you really care for the badge that you wear, and we all did, um, was absolutely enormous. Um, and believe you me, losing it was equally as horrific the other way, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, no, we all felt it in different ways, really. Um, but we were at that point two games, knowing that if we won them both, we'd be champions, you know what I mean? Mm. People talk about going up through the playoffs is the best way to get promoted, and I can see why people say that. But to me, probably because I've experienced it, and not too many people have, the best way to get promoted is to be a champion, to be the best of the best. Yeah. Because you got that medal. You get the same medal. It's the same gold medal that Liverpool got for winning the first division. The only difference was ours says Division 3 winners, theirs says Division 1 winners. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to be, to be a champion is just it's a privilege. Like You know what I mean? Mm. Amazing. So, uh, amazing. obviously, uh, an amazing result against... Bristol City and a lot of fans will remember it yeah, forever yeah. and ever yeah we used to go um, after, after games I'll just interact um, sorry. Chasers was our place Chasers, Chasers <laughs> on a wet, so we're going strong our midweek games are a Wednesday so on the way home you went for a drink in Chasers because we just did and that night 
bizarrely, and I don't know how it happened, and I've met him once since because he come and introduced himself. I got very drunk at the bar with a Bristol City fan who'd been at the game supporting City, and it was a completely... We bought each other's drinks. I think he brought, probably bought most of mine, actually, and the pair of us got absolutely trolleyed. <laughs> um, I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? But that's the way, probably the way it should be in many ways. So, yeah, we went to Chasers on the way home, and then the next morning, I was absolutely wasted, and um, the, phone, the phone went, and it was, it wasn't BBC Radio Bristol. It was the independent, GWR, were they going at the time? GWR probably were, their radio station, the independent one. And they wanted to speak to me about the game live. And I thought it was amazing. I thought, wow, look, what, like, the irony of it now, Kaz, and like the fact what I've done for the last 20 odd years. Like going on the radio was a massive kick. I loved it. Like, you know what I mean? Talking to this presenter who didn't know, like, and asking what it was like and how do we celebrate. And I told him the Chaser story and all this and that, like, you know, and. I mean, what that would have been like nowadays with social media, City playing Rovers for promotion. Imagine that nowadays. Yeah. It'd be an absolute... I mean, mental. I've never been to a derby. Oh, you see, I'm, that's amazing. Yeah, and it's a lot of people... Almost a generation, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of people say to me, like, I cannot believe you've never witnessed a derby, but, like, I could have done maybe, but I think, what is it, 2013 was the last time. played them at Ashton Gate in the JPT. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I, I yeah. was only young and my dad it was, was like... Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. My dad was like, you're wow. not going. You're, see, you're absolutely not going there. Yeah. Um, and then before that was at the Mem, wasn't it, 2007, Ricky Lambert. I was just too young. My yeah. parents didn't want me to go. So, yeah, I've never... Amazing. I've never witnessed Rovers versus City in a live match. It's, it's uh, incredible, really. Is, I know, it is almost a generation, yeah. I mean, my first one was... New Year's Day 1987, 11.30 kickoff. And um, it was my first season at Rovers, Ashton Gate. And um, I just remember walking out before the game to like look at the pitch. And the ground was almost full, 20-odd thousand people. And it, just, it, was, it was just like um, a flashback to being at Anfield watching Liverpool-Everton. It was like proper. Wow. It was proper football, you know what I mean? And it was always the first fixture I looked for, Ashton Gate away, because of the size of the ground. And uh, I just remember, what, it was, uh, there was the, the, the atmosphere was extraordinary. We won 1-0. Had it been a boxing match, it would have been stopped after 25 minutes because City was so dominant. It was just our day. Late Tim Carter, bless him, who's no longer with us. He got a cut on the head, had to go off and get stitched up. Boris went in goal. Dave Mayhew went in goal. I mean, he couldn't have caught a cold, never mind a football. <laughs> they hit the bar. Steve Neville was clean through. Jonah took him out. People in prison for less. It was just, just <laughs> extraordinary. And we won one nil. Wow. Um, and you walked off just thinking, "Wow, it's just play- this was a big, big time football for me." You know, big step from Formby and Chorley and all yeah. that. Like, you know what I mean, Aww. and Preston because at Preston a derby was Blackburn, Blackpool, Burnley, the Lancashire clubs. But it wasn't the same as this because this is too two clubs in one city like well I, I went to that 2013 derby at Ashton Gate it's the only Bristol derby I've been to wow amazing and um, I drove well my dad drove us there from Weston so we drove we were driving through South Bristol to get to uh, near Ashton Gate oh, to park yeah. up and whatever a couple of hours before kickoff. and like, I've driven into Bristol loads of times yeah. from Weston but it was almost like as soon as you drove into Bristol you could feel it in the air yeah, like yeah. even just sat in the car yeah. you could just sense that it was different and it felt yeah. like yeah. almost felt like driving into a war zone that sounds yeah, a bit dramatic yeah, 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 but yeah, like yeah. you'd look to your left and right and there'd be fans chasing each other down the pavement like oh, wow. Rovers and City <laughs> wow. yeah, yeah. there'd be windows smashed out where there'd been scuffles and it was you could hear sirens going and it yeah. was like driving into yeah. like a war, yeah, a war zone it was just yeah. yeah mad you could just 
sums up the uh, the level of hatred between the clubs, doesn't it? It's just, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly, and that's why a three nil victory in that promotion season would have been massive for the fans. I mean, both sets, obviously, City were going for promotion as well, weren't they? So, massive achievements win 3-0. But then, like you said earlier, it's all about the title then. So that didn't demotivate you in any way. You don't think job done. You're, oh, gosh, you're like, no, we're no, going more, for the title now. Or the other, actually. We thought, right, we've, we've got our... With winning that penultimate game, 3-0, that got us top of the table. So, it's up to you then, isn't it? You can't... If you win, you're champions, you know what I mean? So... I mean, going back in the day, I mean, I had Byron Anthony on the show tonight and he was talking about how they prepared in the academy. It's incredible the number of staff and how they do it. I mean, we're playing Blackpool away. So we've gone overnight, which wasn't always an overnight state Blackpool, but it was this time because we had to win. And then Jerry used to take us to this park for a training session in the morning. So we used to call it Dog Shit Park because (laughs) it the pitch they weren't really pitches the grassed area was just full of dog muck and you get it in your studs on your boots and all that like you know what I mean so we'd go, we'd go in the morning dog shit park do a little session kick a ball around probably practice free kicks and corners because Jerry was massive on them and then we came back along the front to go back to the hotel which was on the front and um, we'd have our pre-match about midday so this would be about half eleven and there was this pub on the front and it like it looked as though it was about as it looked about twelve feet wide the pub, and um, obviously there's some gas heads in there who'd seen our team coach out on the on the road travelling back to the we stopped at some traffic lights travelling back, and then the next thing it was like it was like a TARDIS all these gas heads just started coming out of the pub, and they had these big blue cowboy hat foam <laughs> cowboy hats and wigs and all this. And there was hundreds and hundreds, and then hundreds and hundreds seemed to become thousands and thousands, and they were all singing on the on the pavement, like, you know, wow. gas songs and all this, like. So we're looking at them, and our, like, hair standing up on the back of your neck and all that, like. And so we were never going to let them down, but even more so, we were never going to let them down having seen them, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. thereafter, when we got to the ground, and it was just, as you said earlier, 8,000, however many more, maybe more, I'm not sure, like. So, so we went, Blackpool had been relegated, which is good, but there was no complacency, just a real rock-solid determination that we were going to win. Um, relief when the first goal went in. I think Percy scored the first, or Boris. One of the, they both scored. Um, it was a relief when the first goal went in, and the, the Blackpool lads who were up for a bit of a fight, player-wise, football-wise, they just weren't bothered after that. And yeah, two-nil half-time, I think. Paul Nixon scored the third, and. What strikes me about this whole like scenario back in the day is like these days everyone knows the score elsewhere, don't they? Because of mobile phones technology, mm. the Scunthorpe game, for example, we were all there refreshing Northampton yeah, Barrow, yeah, yeah. we all knew, and then that sort of like filters through to the players on the pitch then. So then the atmosphere picks up, come on, you just need one more goal, one more goal. Back then, I guess you would have had the, the odd guy with the radio, maybe, keeping yeah. an eye on the City squad. But other than yeah. that, you, you don't know what's going on with City. No. So you've just got to just yeah. do your very best, that, right? Yeah, we, but it didn't really matter what they were doing because as long as we won, we were champs. Whereas they had to, we had to slip up for them to... Yeah, they wouldn't have known yeah. what was and going on. I think they played Walsall or Rotherham, team in red, normally in red, but changed ship there. Whatever happened on the day, there was a... 
There's always a rumour, isn't there? Someone has obviously said, oh, the gas are losing and all that. And apparently City were leading, so there was massive celebrations. And there was a, <laughs> I have heard this story. There was a false dawn. They had a pitch invasion thinking they'd I'd love champions. it if it was a gas head just in the crowd, just starting that rumour, just stirring so, it up a little bit. <laughs> no, we, 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 were, we were never going to lose that day. I mean, we won, we won four, of, four of our last five games to win the league by two points, which, you know, as crazy as... 7-0 on the last day to, to be promoted automatically like yeah but no it was, it was amazing yeah amazing and how really. much did you drink in Blackpool after that then no we didn't drink an awful lot really um, saw mum and dad afterwards then we left pretty promptly we left without Ian Alexander he, he was still having a drink in the <laughs> social the Blackpool supporters social club over the road and the ground they, they made it an open house for Rovers fans and Jock had gone in having a few beers with gas heads and we left no one did a head count and like we'd been gone about 30 minutes out of Blackpool and someone said where's Jock and again there was no mobile phones god this is sounding so like you know the footage is black and white uh, no colour but yeah so long ago um, and but the next thing someone went past in a car and Jock's hanging out the window and we decided to pull into the next service station and, and Jock got on the bus, like, bizarre. I think wow. it was a, crate, a few beers on the way back and we went out for drinks. I think the next day we had an open-top bus tour. I think, well, we did. It was the next day, an open-top bus tour around wow. Kingswood and, and the likes, you know, which, again, was, was amazing, really. Mm. Yeah, I think you play football. It's the kind of thing I used to go and watch my Liverpool team do around Merseyside. Like, yeah. I know when they'd won a European Cup or whatever, like, you know, but we were actually on the bus. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Incredible. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm so jealous I wasn't there. <laughs> I would have absolutely yeah. loved it. Yeah, that was amazing. One Great day. To talk one about day. it. Lovely. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for talking about it. I mean, because, like, we weren't there, but for no, us, no. it's like, yeah, yeah. It, we can resonate still. We know exactly yeah, how those And in those days, feeling. like, you know, I mean, we got, we got, like, by the end of the season, my kit or our kits weren't blue and white quarters. They were like, grey and blue quarters because like we got like one set of kit for the whole season like you know we reckon the club were given more and Ray Kendall bless him rest in peace Ray a wonderful guy we reckon he used to go to Eastfield Market and sell them off but <laughs> we've got no truth of that but the kit you know we, like, we, we, used to, we used to warm up in the kit that we played in you watch them now the lads you know and they have warm up kit and like, you know and they, they cut the feet out of their socks and do this stuff with tape and all that like you know what I mean if we did that fine we'd have to buy our own replacement socks and that like you know different times different times but being champions is amazing amazing yeah. what an experience for you absolute like, privilege like, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah so you said earlier so you after the season where we went up as champions you then had another season at Rovers yeah and then after that you finished your career at Yate Town and then Linfield is that oh, correct? Oh Linfield yeah 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 what 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 kind of excuse me what kind of happened um, while still at Rovers I broke my ankle against Plymouth in the FA Cup and um, at Twerton Park turning point of the game Kaz it was nil-nil when I broke my ankle and they won 5-0 after I've gone <laughs> off so clearly I knew what I was doing so anyway I'm in, I'm in RUH in the kind of casualty department and um Crazily, in the space of two minutes, um, the surgeons come with the x-ray to tell me you can see the fracture. Broke my ankle. And the draw was made for the next round of the FA Cup. Bristol Rovers at home to either Crewe or Liverpool, who were playing on the Monday. Oh. And there's obviously going to be one winner there, really. Yeah. 
and there was, which meant I missed the tie because of a broken ankle. But what it gave me was Radio Bristol offered me the chance to be their summariser on the commentaries. Oh, brilliant. So it was my first real experience of like having headphones on and hearing the production team and it was a real buzz really loved it like and that, that was the, that was the start of like getting involved in, in broadcast that journalism that was going to be my question I mean yeah. it's an unusual career path to take after yeah. football isn't it and I know that you were assistant to Holloway for a bit as yeah, well yeah. and you decided that wasn't for you like tell me why you, you went you decided yeah. against well, taking been, up that role I've been in the BBC three years uh, quite enjoying the job sports editor after a, less than a year in charge of sports output really enjoying it and then Ollie rang me one day in the, in the newsroom um, again pre-mobile phone days so someone's taking the call busy newsroom Jeff called for you it's Ian Holloway he was playing for QPR at the time in the Premier League so Ollie's rang Matty I need a bit of advice because he always looks upon me as his big brother a bit bit older apparently more sensible debatable um, I want a bit of advice I said what, what, what is it mate what is it he said um, Jeff Dunford's been in touch vice chairman running the club John Ward was manager at the time he said they want they want to offer me the job of player manager next season and um, I said take the job he said what, what do you mean take the job I said well what happens if you don't take the job? What do you know more about than anything in life? He said, football. I said, well, there's the answer to the question. Because if you don't take the job now, Ollie, they'll give it to someone else. They might be successful for two or three years. You'll finish playing at QPR, and what are you going to do? He went, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you're probably right, yeah. He goes, but um, if I take the job, what I need is someone as my assistant who I really know and really trust. And there was like a pause. And then we both giggled. <laughs> And he went, you wouldn't, would you? I went, wouldn't what? He said, be my assistant. I said, well, you haven't asked me. He said, will you be my assistant? I said, yeah. And he goes, what about your missus? I said, no, no, she don't want the job, mate. Just me, like. <laughs> and um, I said, she'll be fine with it, mate. Absolutely fine. He went, what, you'll leave the BBC? To I said, yeah, yeah, mate. I said, football's my gig. I'll give it a go, mate. See what it's like. So this was like February-ish. The season runs till May, as you know. So it's a really strange situation for me to be in. And what, not what I was that comfortable with. I knew that John Ward's contract wasn't going to be renewed. And yet I had to go and chat with John Ward about managing, you know, doing my job, him doing his job. So Ollie and I used to like, we started to hatch a plan. So we'd go and watch Rovers Reserves play at Yate, where they played at the time. So Ollie would be one side of the pitch and I'd be the other. And we'd be assessing the players and we'd, we'd meet and we'd talk about who we we're going to keep and get rid of and all this. Like. So the clock ticked and then it got to like the last weekend of the football season. And rumours were getting rife about, you know, John Ward. It became public on the, in the Bristol Post about Jeff Dunford having the row with Ward about his contract offer and da-da-da-da. So um, I'm thinking, right, I've got to tell my boss now what I'm doing because it's all getting a bit coming to a head. Rovers called a press conference on the Monday. So I've gone to my boss and said, um, uh, I need to talk to you. He goes, yeah, what is it? I said, um, I know what's going on at Bristol Rovers. He goes, all right, well done, that's really good. He said, is this an exclusive? I said, yeah, yeah, it is an exclusive. He said, well, what's happening? He goes, um, I go, um, Ian Holloway is going to be the new player manager. going to announce him on Monday. 
he went, wow, that's brilliant, Jeff. Well done. That's fantastic getting that. He goes, um, will you be able to go and cover the story? And I went, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, why not? He said, because uh, I'm going to be his assistant. <laughs> and he's gone, that's brilliant. <laughs> I went, oh, that's a good reaction anyway. He went, yeah, well, you're football, aren't you? You know, it's no surprise. You know, like, we're going to miss you here. And if you ever oh, want to come back, great. you can come back. I said, but it's what you want to do. We're really chuffed for you. So, um, so we had the exclusive. I said, we can't announce it till Monday morning, first thing. So we had the run on it at Radio Bristol, like, and then... So, yeah, I did it with Ollie, and, you know, it's a curious thing being assistant manager because I'd gone from being in charge of a team, making decisions, to being someone who effectively is um, an empowered advisor, really. You don't pick the team. You don't really carry any authority. Um, you can't really give a bollocking out to a player because the manager does all that. And Anyway, I did it for a year on a three-year contract, and I was always comparing being a broadcaster, which I really love doing, and then I just made the decision that I wanted to go back to the BBC. So I, 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 hatched, I, I plotted away back to the Beeb at the end of the season. Saw Ollie. Ollie was absolutely brilliant. He was he was like he wanted to do anything and everything to keep me at, at, at Rovers with him. Yeah. And um, in the end, I said, "Listen, mate. I said appreciate it, but no, I'm going to have to go back and go back to the BBC." And he literally literally cl- cried because he's he's that kind of guy, you know, wears his heart in his sleeve, like you know, made a cuddle and all that. And, I, I went back to the Beeb and, and he cracked on and, 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 and we're still great buddies now to the mm. daylight, you know, and he was brilliant about me leaving. So, but I'm glad I tried it because when I talk to football fans about management and being on the side of the pitch and making substitutions and what goes into it, at least I can talk with a bit of experience that, that I yeah. tried it like, you know what I mean? You and applied, I was true to myself, true to myself. You applied for the, the manager. Yeah, yeah, I wanted a job when Jerry left, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of people thought at the time that could have been the right thing to do, but it's really weird. I didn't even... I applied for the job in writing and I didn't even get a reply. I didn't even get an interview. And what was really stupid, like, most ridiculous thing was they appointed Martin Dobson. I mean, that was ridiculous, but... <laughs> <laughs> Dobbo was ridiculous. <laughs> but what was really weird about a week after he's got the job and I'm training with him every day I get a letter from the football club telling me I'd been unsuccessful with my application as manager of Bristol Rovers well, thanks. how, how <laughs> Rovers is that I, I think I knew that still, still like that now <laughs> nothing, nothing changes does it but no I'd love to have a crack at it but it didn't happen at the time um, broadcast has been good for me I mean I love it yeah. I mean I, I, it's a great job and I always wanted to go into something after playing that I wanted to be energised by and get out of work, get out of bed in the morning saying right let's go to work and let's give it a good old crack like you know what I mean yeah. and despite doing this for 28 years maybe every day is different because mm. you meet different people and the different situations and it's just a privileged job really did it leave any kind of uh, bitter taste in your mouth at all, the way that, obviously, you applied for it? Rovers, well, they did reply to you, but not until after they'd given it to someone else. That, I'm not saying because of your history with the club you should have got an interview, but it would been nice to get a reply saying, sorry, yeah, you haven't I been su- successful. Yeah, you know? I did. I did I never, I never, at the time, maybe yeah, not now, but at the it didn't time. Feel, but no, even at the time, I didn't feel bitter or twisted. I just kind of chuckled at it. But I think it, I think it told me, right, you need to do something. Get yourself qualified so that you can get into a secondary career. It was, it was like a, it was, it was a prompt for that one, really. Okay. Um, I was a PFA rep, and at the start of every season, you used to say to players, get yourself a qualification. What are you going to do when you finish playing? Because, like, uh, you know, with respect, 
what the lads, what I earned at Rovers, you retired eventually, but you couldn't live off it because you had a, you got a decent salary that gave you a nice little lifestyle, but you needed a secondary career. Well, everyone, everyone did something different afterwards, but I wanted to do something I really wanted to do and enjoy, and you know, being at the Beavs being brilliant, like yeah. And that year away was good though because it, it gave me a, an insight into, you know, sitting at board meetings and listening to some of the stuff, like you know what I mean? It's like wow, wow. See what managers have to deal with, like you know what I mean? Yeah. Sometimes managers don't manage; they're just kind of told what to do. Wow. So, do you ever think about? Sorry, do you ever think about if you had got it, got the job? Being a Premier League now, Rovers, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> of but do you ever think about like what sort of manager you'd have been? You know, you were talking about earlier about how Dobson was sort of really good man management, and Dobson. Then Jerry was. Dobson, have I got Bobby Gould. Bobby Gould. Bobby Gould. Yeah, we have a good coach. How Bobby Gould was like the man manager and Jerry was the football brain. And so, yeah. do you ever think about what you'd have been yeah, like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, you back yourself when you apply with a job. Like, you, 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 you always learn from, you learn good stuff from the good managers, what you think's the good stuff. And you, you bin off the bad stuff from the bad managers, which you think's bad, like, you know what I mean? And you live and die by results and by management, like, you know? So, um, I, I would like to have think I would have been a bit of a Bobby Gould and a lot of a Jerry Francis. So, yeah. Perfect combo of both. Well, I think that would have worked. Yeah, yeah. I think that would have worked, but not Martin Dobson. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bless him, Dobbo. He, just, he, was the, he was the wrong man at the wrong time for Rovers, really. He'd been out of the game for years. Yeah. And he came in. I'll give it some... What I'm talking about. He, he, he came in and the Rovers squad he inherited were... Two years previously, champions of, of league third tier. The year before, it survived quite comfortably in the ch- what is now the championship, in amongst the likes of West Ham, Sheffield Wednesday, some big clubs. So we sat on the grass at, at Fry's, and he, he sat us all down, the players. And um, he stood up. He's got Ray Kendall, bless him, alongside Rick Kitman, and Roy Dolling, who was the physio, and got Dennis Roth there, who's his assistant. And... Um, He's made an absolute mess because I'm, I'm sat right in front there and Ian Alexander is over there. At the time, we looked similar, dark hair, dark and tashes. So I'm there in front and Jock's over to the right. And he looks at Jock and points at him and he goes, Jeff Twentyman. So he's obviously got the wrong player. <laughs> he goes, I've been at this club five minutes. What do you think I've noticed about this group of players? And he's looking at Jock. So I pipe up there. He goes... Um, I'm not sure, Martin. And he like nearly gets whiplash getting his head onto me. like. So all the lads are thinking, oh, my God. And I goes, I don't know, Martin, you tell me. That's like a loaded question. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what I've noticed, Jeff. He goes, there's no team spirit. There's no togetherness. You're all individuals. And you're looking after each other, not the team. I'm thinking, wow, that's the complete opposite of what we actually were. Yeah. Then he goes... And see this bloke on my left, which was the kit man, Ray Kendall, bless him, Ray, no longer with us, um, wonderful man. He goes, we're going to make his job a lot easier. And I'm sat there thinking, oh, my God. He goes, because what you lot are going to do, like you lot, like you lot, as if we're like detached from him. He goes, you're going to wash your own training kit. You're going to take your training kit home and wash it. And he goes, and you'll be issued with yellow socks and blue socks. And I said, I want blue socks on a Monday and a Tuesday and yellow socks on a Thursday and a Friday. And if you don't wear the right colour socks on the right day, you'll be fined. So, like, this is how it's gone, like. So, 
we got through the first training session and the lads have gone to me Matty you've got to go and see him because I'm like I'm the mouthpiece of the lads really he goes this like ridiculous like you've got to go and see him so I've gone yeah I'll go and see him so half 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 time on the first day knocked on his door come in Martin can I have a few minutes please yeah Jeff sit down what is it I felt like saying at least you know where I am now but I didn't say that I goes Martin I said with respect I said I know you're the manager and you're in charge I said but you've got to understand the culture of Bristol football I said because City are the big team with the big ground with the big crowds paying the big money with the big names I said but we're Bristol Rovers and we survive and th- we kind of thrive on being the underdogs and like Jerry used to call us ragbag rovers I said but I said having to take our own kit home and wash it is probably just one step too far and fining us for having the wrong socks on on the wrong day I said it's like it's like an insult and he goes Jeff it's about teaching responsibility in life so I'm like I'm thinking oh, okay gloves are off here like you know what I mean I'm not going to shout at him but I'm just going to tell him what I think I said no I said no Martin what what I said I've got I've got a child at home who's a few years old I said I've got a mortgage to pay I said, I've got bills to pay. I said, I've got a car to keep on the road. So that is, to me, a responsibility in my life, not whether I've got yellow socks or blue socks. And he went, Jeff, one day you'll manage and you'll do it your way. I said, but as far as I'm concerned, go back and tell those lads that what I've told them earlier is the way it is. And I went back and told them it. And that, he, lo- he, he, lost, he lost a group. And what happened was we went out and tried our best every game but once we went behind in games, he'd like he just lost our spirit, and we and he he he, he didn't travel on the team bus when we played away. He used to travel in his own car, all stuff like that. You know what I mean? It was really strange, and he wasn't. We didn't play very good football and didn't win many matches, and he didn't last very long, really. Um, but he he was just strange, just weird. weird. So when you because you hear about um, in the press managers losing the dressing room you hear about that quite a lot like Solskjaer at United at the end had lost the dressing room that sort of stuff so I think as a fan it's hard to really comprehend what that means but is that what it means like when you do go behind in a game there's not that same fight yeah, to come it's, back it's, it's for sub, the manager it's like subconscious you know, we're not sat there thinking right let's, let's play shit and get rid of this bloke it's like let's go out and try and win but it's like subconscious when you go behind there's no like when we got promoted I think we won six or seven games come, coming from 1-0 down to win 2-1 in succession and with, with, with Dobbo he just he just took away that he just we just lost that spirit say so it wasn't so it wasn't like a meeting and we all said right let's let's play like idiots and get rid of him it wasn't like that but what was also really weird he got sacked on the Friday we played Middlesbrough on the Saturday next day Dennis Rofe had been put in charge we were bottom of the league. They were top. Guess who won? Rovers. Yeah, at Twerton Park. 2-1. And what is also more incredible, guess who scored the winning goal? You. <laughs> and you. it wasn't a header. <laughs> <laughs> and it was from outside the box in the right foot. But that's just, that's just come back to me now. I wasn't telling the story because of that. But it's weird, isn't it? How, how, how anyway. can you be absolutely like rank bad with no real team spirit? And yet that manager goes and yet you beat the team at the top of the table. You see it a lot as well, don't you? Like They call it the new manager curse. Yeah, or the, bounce. Yeah, the yeah, new yeah, manager yeah. bounce. New yeah, manager bounce, bounce that, yeah. Like, yeah. But Dennis was just like, I don't know, it was just like a breath of fresh air the way he took over and, and bits and pieces. But um, 
No, it was, it was weird with Dobbo because no, there was no team meeting and no one said, right, let, let's down tools. We, tr- we tried, but we just didn't have, oh, we just didn't have any fighting. Weird, really weird. But yeah, yeah, you could sense it as fans as well, can't you? Like yeah. the Daryl Clark era. Yeah, like yeah. You could tell that there was so much spirit in that yeah. team. You can tell when the players want to run through brick walls for the manager yeah, yeah. and yeah. when actually when yeah. the brick wall's there, they're like, actually, I'd yeah. just turn around <laughs> like, and go the other way. Someone mentioned Paul Buckle on my show tonight, like a Rovers fan, and I thought, Paul Buckle, like, you know, he sent a shiver down the spine. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, he, he, was, he was one of the managers who was like so unsuccessful and, you know, he, he made some real derogatory comments about Bristolians inside yeah. the dressing room, and, you know, and it leaked out. It's always going to leak out. And think, wow, well, you know. Well, Buckle off. was getting booed onto the pitch yeah. at the start of games. Yeah, exactly. It got that bad. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, it's interesting you say, obviously, it sends shivers down your spine because, obviously, you have to be neutral on Radio Bristol, right? Because you're, like, talking yeah, to yeah. fans of both clubs. But you've obviously got a little bit of an allegiance with Rovers because of the history and everything like that. So with your drive time show and you, you cover it every Saturday, do you get to see Rovers play often? Yeah, I... I I, I make it my business to get to. I mean, the, the principal teams we cover obviously Rovers, City, Bath and Bristol Rugby. So I, it's not an easy, it's not an easy balance to get right. I, I try and see each team at least once a month on the naked eye. It's easier now to do the football because there's no rugby at the moment. The, the challenge comes when the rugby season starts in September. I do like my rugby and all that. So when I'm hosting a bespoke show for like Rovers fans and great you coming on Kaz and it's just great to be able to refer to a game by being there and seeing it yeah um, you get so much now highlights and you can see all the highlights but sometimes you notice things that are not in the highlights package or whatever so so no I try and get when did I see the Rovers uh, Forest Green home game just so, gone yeah uh, oh yeah last, yeah this yeah yeah, yeah. um so yeah, I try and get there. And sometimes, if I'm being honest, I'll, I'll go to I'll go and watch the teams play when I'm not working. So say a Tuesday night, if, if Rovers are playing at the Bear, I'll, I'll finish my rugby show at seven and scoot on down and just sit in the stand. Again, that's a different experience because I haven't got headphones on. Mm. I'm not writing down notes. I'm not taking down later scores. I can just watch yeah. and, and, and see it. Like You know what I mean? So are there any players in the current squad that stand out to you at the moment? The current Rovers squad... Mm. Or last uh, season. Oh, well, last season, I mean, Elliot Anderson was oh. just like a sublime talent, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, amazing that he's made his full Newcastle debut and there's, there's no great surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, he was just way too good. <laughs> way too good he's last year. He's the reason we got promoted, 100%. Yeah, him and Connor Taylor, um, James Connolly, players who were infinitely better than the level they were playing at with respect. Um, it just... Again, it goes back to, we talked talking about my dad, weren't we? About, mm. I mean, I'm a massive student of talent, ID and recruitment, because I think it's because it was something I was, when I was a kid and, and watched, and it's so important, you know? I mean, Joe going on about signing six or seven. I mean, I've got a lot of time for Joe. I like Joe, but to me, it's not about quantity. It's about quality. And if you sign three really good players, it's better than signing five players who are just kind of okay. Like, you know what I mean? Um, so last season, I mean, that they they were obviously st- standout players. Um, this season, um, I'm a fan of Sam Finley. I like yeah, him. I like Sam the way he, he can play both sides of the game. He can pass it and he can get involved and he can get stuck into people and put a tackle in. He's he's got to kind of address his discipline because you can't 
Well, she had um, 10 bookings or 12 bookings. or Yeah, he always seemed to be one booking away from a suspension yeah. last season, didn't he? He went about nine games purposely not getting a booking really Yeah, that's hard right. Yeah, he, get yeah he got himself in like, yeah. Um, but he's aware of that and he's probably working on it and Joe's got <laughs> Joe's got to help him with that and the manager and the coach has got to help him with that. Um, current squad... I'm I mean, sure. The keeper's outstanding, isn't he? Mm. The keeper's amazing. I mean, how Harrogate let him leave... Um, ridiculous football is a game of opinions but it's not borderline is it it's not even borderline no, as to whether Belshaw was any good like you know brilliant I mean? yeah and you mentioned uh, Connolly and Taylor so do you naturally look at the yeah. centre-backs yeah, obviously because that was your role yeah. could you see yourself fitting into that side from last season as a centre-back oh yeah <laughs> how does the style of like how you play differ from how it is these days would you say well the biggest difference now is how they play out from the back I mean, having said that, watching Man U beat Liverpool the other night, they didn't mess about at the back because they got mm. caught out at Brentford. But, I mean, when we played, goal kicks, play it back to the goalie, volleyed out of his hands, like, play it back, push up to the halfway line. You know what I mean? That's the, I think that's the... Well, the biggest difference is, is several-fold. Is, is playing out from the back. I think some teams overdo it, but that's, that's just an opinion. Uh, the pitches are so much better now, which enable you to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look back at the pitches we played on, goodness me, some of them were just so <laughs> bad. But we just got on with it because we didn't know any different. Yeah. I was going to say, I'd like to see Connor Taylor and Connolly playing out from the back at Twerton and yeah, yeah. say, back, <laughs> in the, yeah. back in the 90s. So, yeah. Yeah, Even they, the they, men when the rugby know, was on it. Big difference. Preparation was different. I mean, nowadays, Roy Dolling, the physio at the time, he used to laugh at me how many times, how many cups of tea I drank at half time. Which is probably one of the worst things you could do, like, you know, drinking hot cups of tea. I yeah. probably did three or four at half time. Three or four at yeah, 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 like, like, minutes. Yeah, yeah, just drink them. And I thought it was like re energizing me and all that, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Whereas now it's all these special drinks and bits that go with it, like, so, you know, and then they recover in a different way. I still maintain, with no real proof, that modern day footballers probably have a, a few more pints after the game and then they let on that they do, you know what I mean? But. It is, a, you know, these ice baths and all that. Goodness me. Chambers they sit in and it goes sub-zero and all that. Crazy. So rough and ready back in your day, wasn't it? Yeah, rough and ready in as much as... Um, I would never... Before a game, I would never... I've never had a big drinker anyway, but I would never touch alcohol, like, after a Wednesday night. If we played on a Wednesday at Twerton and went to the aforementioned nightclub in Kingswood, you'd have a couple <laughs> of beers, but then Thursday, Friday, you didn't bother... Um, have a few drinks after the Saturday game but nothing much beyond that but it wasn't the, the whole squad I played in went they went boozy they went mm. real drinkers but it's a lot that are, the, the preparation now is on a different level but I still think the lads at the right time of the week probably have a little beer mm. now and again every week so going back to the, the centre-back chat we were having where Kaz was saying how you watch the centre-backs play yeah yeah uh, so one of the sort of ongoing debates we're having on the pod at the moment, as a fan base as well, is uh, how Luca Hall's been transitioned into a centre back this season. So he broke through last season as a right back. Yeah, pretty young, nineteen twenty or so. He's quite a quite uh, bean poly, I'd say at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Hasn't really filled out yet, but he's been transitioned into a centre back this season. Started there for the first five games. From the games you saw of him last season, I mean, do you see potential in him to? play in that position I guess long term potential but not right now he's just it's, it, he's almost a victim of circumstance in terms of because Connor Taylor went back 
I mean, had Connor Taylor still been there alongside Connolly, he'd play one outside right on the right, wouldn't he? He'd mm. play like more of a right wing back type thing. He's a yeah. good, good little footballer, really. Um, he's got to learn his trade. I mean, I remember going back to when I first went into pro football. I know I'd played non league and thought it's hurly barely until you get playing alongside, sorry, not alongside, playing against the likes of John Fashnu and Tony Cascarino and. It was a guy called Bobby Campbell at Bradford. Um, they were brutal, you know what I mean? John Fashnu. You don't get a nickname Fash the Bash without bashing people up like, you know what I mean? And he, he was absolutely... Got away with absolute murder with elbows and off-the-ball stuff. You know, they'd stand next to him and just smack you in the face and that, like... And you had, to, you had to toughen up pretty quick, like, you know? So Luca's got an awful lot to learn, but he's got an awful lot of ability as well. But I just think he's playing in a position at the moment which, if if... There was a, a more robust centre back in the squad on the right hand side. He would play in a different position. So yeah. just, I was a bit surprised how Rovers started the season needing so many extra players in the squad. For Joe to start the season saying they need five or six seems a bit of a, a gap in the recruitment there. If you say you need two or three, maybe understandable, but but they'll be okay. But no, I just think Luca's just playing in a position that isn't necessary I mean I watched the Forest Green and I mean the lad Matt is it up front Jamil yeah, Matt. Matt I mean he's going back in he's almost realms of like Fashnu and Bobby Campbell because he's big strong and robust like you know what I mean mm. and they didn't really know how to handle him and couldn't handle him physically but the more you play you learn the tricks of the trade I mean I someone was talking about that compilation video of the um the defender when when the Liverpool Nunes got sent off a headbutting yeah and Anderson that, for Palace. Yeah, Anderson yeah. for Palace. And there's a compilation of him like nudging him and pushing him behind and all that. Well, it looks it looks quite dramatic when you see it as a compilation. But over 90 minutes, that's what's always happened. You know what I mean? Mm. Tricks of the trade. You know, you stand on people's Achilles and stand on their toes and that's what you did, mm. what you do. But that's, you learn that in time and Luca will learn that eventually. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, interesting. Mm. Any more questions for Jeff? No, I think I'm, I'm all done, yeah. Yeah, I mean... We've taken up enough of this time. Yeah. We've been here for about two yeah. hours. I mean, it's right. been, it's been My brilliant. My pleasure. Loved it. Um, so we'll wrap it up there. And Thanks Gaz for asking says, me. Hope you enjoyed that blast from the past from Jeff. Um, a very special episode indeed. Jeff, thank you so much My for giving us your time. My pleasure, guys. Honestly. Great to chat with you both. Yeah, I really Enjoyed appreciate it. It, it means it. a lot to us. And, of course, thank you to you, Gas Heads, as well, for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to Gascast Podcast so you could be notified of all future episodes. Up the gas. Up the gas. <laughs>